What was the weather like last week here? Hot, beautiful? No, no, because you're in El Salvador. Well, how many of you uh, had that big storm come by your house a couple weeks ago? Anybody? Anybody lose any tree limbs or anything? And power. Some people were out of power for a long time. I know it's crazy. I know our neighborhood is, I don't know, our tr- I, I guess it's about 15 year olds, years old, our neighborhood. So a lot of the trees are younger. But right outside our neighborhood, I mean, there are huge trees down everywhere. And it's crazy when a storm comes through, isn't it, like that? That happened to be right as uh, I was pulling in my driveway from kids camp. We unloaded everything, dropped off vans and buses, and... We heard about the storm coming, and I could see it building, and then I pulled into my driveway, and I opened my truck door, and it just blew open. I couldn't believe it. It just jerked it right out of my hand. Thankfully, it didn't tweak the hinges on the truck, but I, I was shocked at the power of it, and the trees are whipping around, and I shut that door, got on the other side to get my luggage out of the truck, and I mean, the rain started hitting, and it was raining sideways, and I thought, wow, this is crazy. You know, our, our trees were just whipping around. We have a willow tree in the backyard. That looked kind of cool. Because you know those little, those weird, like, little inflatable things in front of stores that go like this? I mean, that tree was doing that, and I thought, oh, we're going to lose that tree. It, it was fine. But, but I remember standing there and thinking, this is amazing. Just the power of the storm. Then I started thinking... Man, I hope our pump, some pump is going to work. You know, you, get, you have those thoughts. And I hope nothing happens. You know, I hope nobody's hurt and whatnot. But storms are crazy sometimes. Have you ever been in a storm? I'm not really talking about storm storms, though. Have you ever been in a storm? I mean a storm that just blows you all around. I'm talking about a storm that upsets everything. I mean, storms are crazy, and we've all been in them. I mean, the fact is, we all have them. Now, sometimes there are warning signs, like that storm, I knew it was coming, because I'd heard it on the radio, people were talking about it. How crazy is it that we live in a day and age where I can literally pull up a satellite image? I mean, I could see right where it was. I could see where it was. And I could see the red in it, I knew it was going to be intense. Sometimes you know. Sometimes in life, these storms come, and you kind of know. There's red flags. I mean, you know something's going to happen. Maybe you've had questions or concerns, or, and you didn't say anything. And then you're in the storm, and you're like, eh, I kind of knew that was going to happen. Maybe you're a student, and you're sitting here like, yeah, I've had storms. Maybe it's just a pileup of things that are due, and things are happening, and friendship things are falling apart, and parents are... Par- are parents difficult sometimes, kids? They all say yes. <laughs> Maybe you're a parent. Are, are kids difficult sometimes? <laughs> they all said no. <laughs> you guys know what I'm talking about? And these things are coming and you're just feeling overwhelmed and you're thinking, ah, I saw that happen. But sometimes you don't see it coming. Sometimes you're completely blindsided. It's like the ground fell out from under you and you're, you're on your back and you just didn't see it happening. And then you're thinking, this is all swirling around me and I don't know what to do. I'm overwhelmed by the moment. And I had no, I was no preparation. I should have seen it, but I didn't. When we lived in Liberty, there was a park not too far from our house. It was, it was a, quite a few blocks. It was far enough that we didn't let the kids go by themselves ever. We'd walk to that park and along the trail, once you got off the main street and you're kind of in the park, there was a, a creek that went through there. 
And there were times where it would be huge. You know, if there was rains, it would just be enormous. But, but not always. And we would always go down and walk in there and, you know, catch tadpoles and goof around. And one day we were down there and we're standing. And I was standing on the edge of this rock. And the, the creek is right there. And the kids are all around me. And the rock broke in half. It literally broke. Yeah, wah, wah, wah. Yeah, it was, anyway. Just like that, I was on my back in the creek. And the kids, you know, first they're like, ah! Then they're just laughing so hard because dad is, you know, being covered in water and mud and I'm in the creek on my back. And I remember getting up from there and I totally didn't see that coming. I'd stood on that rock in that spot countless times, countless times. And there was no, like I thought, how could this even happen? I mean, it literally cracked in half. And I'm looking at it and I was just kind of amazed at how smooth the crack was and then the rock at my feet and I was soaked, and they are laughing, and we're laughing, and they renamed the park. It was from then on, Fallen Daddy Park, from then on. Whenever we said, are we going to go to the park? Can we go to Fallen Daddy Park? It was just a thing. And every time I walked by there, I was struck by the fact that I totally didn't see that happen. It wasn't like I had a chance to jump off. It wasn't like there was a sound or movement. It wasn't like any gravel went down. It was like one minute I'm standing there, the next minute I'm on my back, covered in water and in the mud. It happens that way, doesn't it, in life? Sometimes. Not all the time. But sometimes you're in the middle of something and things are swirling around and you're, you're shocked, you're blown away. It's like, how did this happen? You're floored. Maybe it's an illness or a a diagnosis you get or something with your job or something in school or a friend that says or does something and you're completely blown away. A death in the family, you didn't see it coming or a car breaks down or an accident. Maybe you should have seen it. Maybe you should have been ready, but you're not. And all of a sudden you're swirling around and you're overwhelmed and it's like everything changed in a heartbeat. And you don't know what to do. Maybe you look to people to help, but you realize they're in a storm too. Or you sometimes it happens this way, and the, the storm is raging all around you. And it's almost so big, and you wonder, does anybody know what's going on in my world? And you wonder, can they tell? Is my face giving it away? And you're around people, and it's, it's as if. It's as if you stepped into a movie or something and life is happening around you and your whole world is coming apart. and It's all swirling and they don't seem to notice. You wonder, is this real? Am I, am I in a dream right now? Because what I'm experiencing is so big to me, but then everybody else is living like life is normal. And they seem fine. Am I the only one this is happening to? Has anybody ever felt like that? And things are going on and you think, how can nobody know what is going on? And you wonder, who do I talk to? I, I almost can't talk. Sometimes it's as if you're struggling and you, you can't even breathe. It's such a big deal and nobody knows. And you don't even know how to articulate. You can't, you can't even put words to it. And even if you were to tell somebody, you know how it is. People say, how are you doing? And what do you say? Fine. You say, chill. I'm not that cool. I might say that. Chill. Oh, yeah, I can do that. Because sometimes you realize, I can't explain it. It's too much. Or maybe 
the person cares, but like, I don't want to lay this on you. It's big. Or maybe it's just so big and you want them to think you got it all together. Right? Because you got it all together. I can handle this. But inside you're wondering if it's one more thing. I don't know if I could. Because it's so much. And it's just swirling and swirling and swirling and swirling. And you wonder and you're suffocating and you feel like you're fighting and you're alone and you're lost and you're trying to breathe and it's just suffocating. And you can't sleep and you can't talk. Who do you talk to? Who would under, who could help? Some uh, friends of mine, we, um, in California, like if you're in the Los Angeles basin, just north of the mountains is Bakersfield. And just north of Bakersfield is the Kern River. It's a cool river. There's an upper and lower Kern. And on the lower Kern, it's famous. A lot of people camp along the Kern and it's beautiful and it's rocky. And, but what they go there for is uh, whitewater because there's all these, there's a succession of rapids. There's like 12 of them in a row and they're all graded. Anybody been whitewater rafting? Anybody would never, ever do that? Like, you think we're crazy? <laughs> it's amazing, because they grade them at, on difficulty, and they go up to five. I mean, five is like impossible. That's like waterfalls. And four is doable, but you, most people can't do that. And a lot of guide companies won't do fours. It depends on the four. But, you know, one, twos, and threes, most people can do those. So we, my friends and I, we bought a raft, because we didn't want to pay the guide thing. <laughs> we didn't know what we were doing. But we started learning. And then um, <clears throat> once you do it more, you, f- you get more confident. You know how that is, right? And you figure, I can handle it, right? So one year we got there and um, it had rained a lot. And we knew that. And uh, we checked in, because you got to get a permit. So we checked in you know, with the, the uh, department there. And the, uh, the warden or whatever, game warden, I don't know what she was, but... She said, she looked at us, she goes, you guys got your own boat? And we're like, yeah. And she goes, okay. And then she said, um, hey, there's five bodies in the river right now. What? Yeah, I know, right? And she said, what happens is when the river's normal, it's like people kind of get stuck. And we know they're there, we just don't know where they are. So if you happen to see any, let us know. <laughs> like, okay. And so we're walking out and I turn around like, why would we see them? Like, what you, she goes, well, the water's up, so the river's changed, so the pressure changes, and they might, they might come up. So we're like, oh, we got this, right? <laughs> so <laughs> we thought, okay, well, let's go where we know what we're doing, right? So we get in the river, and we're all ready to go. You know, there's four of us. You're, it's, and we have bought, at this point, we have bought like a boat like the guides use. I mean, it was a nice boat. So we get in the, in the raft, and uh, we're, we're looking like, the river looks different. Like, I don't even recognize this spot. Well, the river was up. So here's what we didn't know. A lot of times with life, it's what you don't know, right? Sometimes you get into a storm and it's your fault. Sometimes, well, this is our fault, but oh well. Anyway, here's what happens. When the river's up, there's a couple changes to the river. One thing is, it's faster. Didn't think about that. Didn't know that. Another thing is, it's colder. And the third thing is, the river changes where it flows. It goes in places it doesn't normally go because it's up, right? It's out of the channel, the normal channel. So we get in the water, 
And we start going, and we're like, what is this? This isn't usually here. And right away, we get thrown into a tree, which usually is not in the river, and we all get knocked out of the boat. It's not funny, actually. <laughs> now, we have a, you have a life jacket on, but here's what happened. This, this is what happened to me. Right away, I'm underwater. Okay, that's not normal, because this part of the river is not usually like that. But what happens is it's churning and it's doing stuff it's not normally doing. And so all of a sudden, you're, you're underwater and then you're up and you're grabbing a breath and the foam is all around you and it's hard to breathe sometimes because when you get up, the foam is getting in your mouth and you know, your body's like, don't breathe, it's water. Like, well, it's mostly not, but right? You're holding onto your paddle, your life jacket, and you're bouncing off rocks and you're fighting against a current which you cannot win you just got to go because you're going to go where it goes. Um, a mile down the river, <laughs> I crawled out the first place I could get out. I was exhausted. Anybody wrestle? Any wrestlers? You know how it is when you wrestle and your body is drained in like three minutes of strength? Here you work out all this time and then once you, when you wrestle, it's like that. Because you're fighting and fighting and fighting and you're struggling and you're trying to get air and... There was one moment, this, uh, this is true, I mean, there was one moment where I honestly didn't think I'd hold my breath anymore. I honestly thought, this is it. And like, part of me is like, you are a moron. <laughs> I can't believe I'm going to die like this, is what I thought. And then I could see light, and then right as I thought, okay, I'm going to breathe, and then you get jerked down again. And I thought, God, I don't want to die right now over something that's supposed to be fun. Like, this is ridiculous. And then you came up, and then it was calm, and I crawled out, and I'm sitting there, and I could hardly move, and I still have my paddle, I don't know how. And I just sat there, because I couldn't hardly move. I couldn't climb up high enough to get out of the actual... I, I was just sitting on the bank, and I thought, I don't even know how I'm going to get out of here. Does anybody feel like that? That what you're going through in life is so overwhelming, and nobody knows. And I was sitting there all alone, and I thought, God, I hope my friends are okay. And I don't know where they are. I had no idea where anybody, I was all alone. And there was nobody there. And it took me at least an hour to get back to where we were. Now, most of them got knocked out, and right away, they got knocked out on a different side of the boat, so they got out right away. And they were wondering where I was, and we... Do you think God knows where you are? When I was in that water storm, I mean, it was crazy. You know, you're praying the whole time. And the prayers aren't particularly eloquent in the moment. You know, weren't really wordy. It was more like, God, God, where are you? Help me, right? Do you think he says anything about this kind of thing? I, I, love, um, I love the Bible for so many reasons. One of the things I absolutely love about it, and I've grown to love this more and more, the more I know, the more I love it, is so real. It's so real. It's so raw. You're reading it, and you're reading, it, it's just, it's a beautiful thing. The first four books of the New Testament, we call them the Gospels. There are four different accounts of Jesus' life from four radically different perspectives. 
And they're written in such a way to tell us something about God and about Jesus that they tell it from a perspective, which it's funny because I've heard people say, well, which one is right? Because they're different. And I'm like, all of them. And it's no surprise or secret. They're intentionally different. Some people look at it and they feel like they have to make excuses for why the first four books are so different, yet they're about Jesus' life. You don't have to do that. They're intentionally different. They're different on purpose because they're written for different reasons. Matthew, the first one, is written by a guy who was a tax collector that Jesus called out of that business and he writes it specifically to the Jewish people. Now, of course, we can learn from it too, but it's very Jewish in its orientation. It's super organized, just like you would expect from a tax collector. And in there, he's writing it to convince them that Jesus is the Messiah. He, he emphasizes how Jesus is the fulfillment of prophecy. He is the Davidic king. They kept looking back toward David being the ultimate king. Jesus was his lineage, and he makes a big deal about that. It's good. The next one, Mark, totally different. Because Mark was probably, well, we know he was around and was in the crowd during Jesus' life, but very young. And then he's an, he, we know from church history that he was a companion of Peter, and he wrote down Peter's experiences with Christ. So just like Peter, you remember him, right? Kind of rash, kind of get it done kind of guy, kind of pull out my sword and start swinging wildly when Jesus is being arrested and cuts off the servant's ear. Remember that whole story? Have you ever wondered how you cut off an ear? Have you ever thought about that? How do you swing a sword and only cut off an ear? <laughs> I mean, I don't know. But regardless, he's also the guy, when Jesus was walking on the water, he jumps out the boat and walks to Jesus. He's also the guy, after the resurrection, Jesus is on the shore. They're out fishing. Jesus is on the shore cooking breakfast for them. And they see Jesus. John says, hey, I think that's Jesus. Peter jumps in the water and swims to Jesus. I like that guy. I like him. He would have been with us in the raft. <laughs> Matthew, probably not. Peter would have been with me, right? His book is short and to the point. Uses the word immediately 60 sometimes. That word's not used that many times in the whole rest of the Bible. And then immediately Jesus did this. And then he did this. And then he did this. And then he did this. It's like an action story. Then Luke, we know Luke was the only Gentile writer of the New Testament. He was a companion of Paul. He researched all of his book. His book has things that none of the other books have because no one knew it happened because he went and studied it and talked to eyewitnesses and found out all these stories. And he adds them all in there. His book is twice as long as Mark because he has all these details. It's phenomenal. Then John, the book of John is fascinating because John tells it in a very philosophical way and he ties it to creation. And his point is to show that Jesus is God. God in a way that, they, that, that doesn't compare to any other God they might worship. That's why he introduces it and he ties it to creation. He says, in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. You know, the beginning of the Bible in Genesis says, in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. He ties him to that. Then later in the first part of his book, he says, he created everything and nothing that was made was not made without him. He's making sure they understand he is God. He calls him things in the book that, that show that he is God. He emphasizes the fact that he is unlike anybody else ever in history. He goes into the fact that he alone is God. It's fascinating to read these books. 
It's in this book that I want to take a look at a story that has to do with a storm. It's in this book where John calls all of his miracle signs and they're signs that point, point to Jesus being God. He arranges his book. Now, Matthew is very clear in his arrangement. If you're reading it, just looking at it, you know, he'll have a section that's just Jesus teaching, then a section of Jesus talking with the Pharisees, then a section of miracles, then a section where he's training the disciples. Very orderly. But John is too, but in a very poetic way. He does things that are fascinating. He only records seven miracles. And then he has seven times where he, he has Jesus talking and say these famous I am statements, which we'll talk about in a moment. He's, every part of that book is intentional. That's why I want to look at this story, and I want you to see something very intentional in the story. Storms. Don't raise your hand, but is anybody in one right now? If you're not in one, I hate to say this, but you're probably going to be in one eventually because they come in our lives a lot. Sometimes they're big, sometimes not. Sometimes they're huge and knock out the power, knock the feet out from under you. Sometimes not, but they're big. If you've not been in one, you will be because that's how life comes at us. It's like that all the time. It's not, it's not really a question whether or not you're going to have storms. The question is, what do you do in the storm? How do you handle the storm? Who do you blame for the storm? Do you realize that there's a way out of the storm? Do you beat yourself up and realize or think about, like, I shouldn't be in this position? What do you do? Now, the eyewitness accounts, many of them mention Jesus and storms. But in John's account, it's different. And John's telling us something about Jesus that I want us to see this morning. None of this is haphazard. All of it matters. And it's easy to miss it because a lot of times we look at Scripture, and there's nothing wrong with this, but we look at Scripture and we pull out parts we like, and we separate the stories out, and we attach ourselves. And so, for instance, in those storm stories, some of the other books... I had mentioned to somebody I was going to talk about storms and they say, oh, I love the part where Jesus says, gets in the boat and tells them we're going to go to the other side because they know they're going to the other side. Like, yeah, that's cool, but that's not what I'm talking about. And not that story. It's a different story. And then some people said, well, I love the part where he lays down on the pillow in the back of the boat because he's calm and he knows, like, yeah, it's not that one either. There's something else. There's something in John that's not in the other books. It's really interesting. And it's something that I feel like somebody here needs to know today. And if you don't need to know it today, you need to learn it today for the next storm. Do you, uh, do you know people who haven't been in big storms? I've talked to people like that. It's like everything in life is perfect. And part of me is envious a little bit. And part of me is worries a lot. Because storms are coming. Because that's life. It's how it is. It's how God does it. Let's take a look at this. The way John arranges everything is similar to the other stories, but in this one, he starts off just like they do with Jesus feeding the 5,000. But when he talks about it, he does it in a specific way to tell us something about Jesus. So if we look at John chapter 6, verse 12, when they had had enough to eat... 
He said to his disciples, gather the pieces that are left over, let nothing be wasted. So they gathered them and filled the 12 baskets with the pieces of the five barley loaves left over by those who had taken, who had eaten. Then there's something interesting that happens. After people saw the sign Jesus performed, they began to say, surely this is the prophet who is to come. Jesus, knowing that they intended to come and make him king by force, withdrew again to a mountain by himself. I want to stop there for a second. What's going on here? What, what do you think is happening? What do you think Jesus feeding them reminded them of? Remember, they're Jews. Manna, manna in the wilderness. Wait, wait a minute. God gave us manna in the wilderness. God provided this miracle food that, that in the morning we'd wake up and it'd be all over the ground and we would collect it. And he fed us. And here's this prophet who's been healing people and doing miracles. And he just miraculously fed us all. He must be the guy. He must be the one. And so Jesus, though, he withdraws away from them because he realized they're going to try to take him by force and make him king. What's amazing about it, you think about it, what what is going on right here? Why in the world would they take him and try to make him king? Well, it's because they're under Roman occupation. No one loves that. They didn't like the Romans. They knew that someday the Messiah would come and they saw him as a political leader who would free them from all this occupation and return them to this Davidic, David, King David-like glory that their their nation once had. Because right now their nation is just a a through passway from Africa to Asia and people just come through and then they're conquered by person after person. And right now the Romans and the Romans are cruel and the Romans are controlling and the Romans desecrate their holy things and holy temples and the Romans are pagan and the Romans worship all these ridiculous gods who are just human superheroes with all their failings and failures. The Jews couldn't wait to get free of that. So the moment they see this prophet and they see these signs and they say, he is something else and we want to make him king. The fact is that this prophet, this promised one, they've been waiting for him forever. And they started to call him and the word Messiah was something, the promised one, the anointed one. Jesus wasn't their king that way. He came to be king, just not like that. So he withdraws from them. I was thinking that and reading and thinking, why would he just disappear and get away from them? Well, there's a lot of reasons. Number one, he didn't want the Roman government to come in and crush him at that point and try to, try to stop him from what he was doing. Number two, he didn't come for that to be that kind of king. He didn't come for that. Number three, I never thought about this before, but when you're actually the king, you don't need people to make you the king. <laughs> Do you ever think about that? You know what I mean? It's like if somebody comes to me and they say, Uh, Hey, I can show you how to drive. I'm like, well, I've been driving a long time. I know how to do this, right? He's king. He's not only king, he's king on earth. He's the creator of the universe. It'd be like, (laughs) I mean, you know, he doesn't need anything from them. And when he's ready to be king, he will be king. It's almost reminiscent. And I think John does this intentionally because do you remember the first miracle that John shows them the first sign? Anybody remember what that was in this book? A little test, Bible knowledge, the wedding at Cana. So Jesus and his disciples go to a wedding and his mom is there. And when they're there, if you don't know the story, the wine runs out. Big embarrassment. So the people running the place come to Mary and Mary comes to Jesus 
And she says to him, they're out of wine. What does he say to her? Woman? I called my mom that once. I thought, well, Jesus did. It's kind of cool. Yeah, once. <laughs> he says, it was, a, it was more respectful in their world. <laughs> so I said, what? He said, woman, my time is not yet. She does something very interesting. She turns to the servant and says, do whatever he tells you to do. Do whatever he tells you to do. He turns that water into wine, and then that wine is the best wine. And the guy comes and says, oh, you saved the best wine for last. You usually don't pull this out until people are already drunk. And, right? But they knew it was a sign. These are signs. It wasn't Jesus' time to be king. It was his time to preach and to get them to understand what he really came to do. It wasn't the time. So Jesus withdraws from them. And then we get back to this. When evening came, his disciples went down to the lake. Jesus wasn't with them. So where they were got into a boat and set off across the lake for Capernaum. Now the part of the lake they were on, if you don't know this, this lake, I, I had to thank you church for sending me to Israel a year ago, May, and we got to go, here it's called a lake. Sometimes they call it a lake. Sometimes they call it the Sea of Galilee. It's not a huge thing. It's about seven miles across, about 13 miles long. So at certain parts in Israel that are elevated, you can see across it easily. And then the, the long ways, you can't always see it all the way across. You know, usually you can see about 12 miles across. It's about 13 miles. But the way it's situated, it's situated in, down in a crevasse kind of between higher mountains. So it gets all these wind gusts that go across it. So it can be calm. And then in a heartbeat, it can be rough. Even while we were there, we, we went there to the top part of the lake and we were supposed to do a service on there, and then the wind picked up, and then before we knew it, we, we had like, like three-foot little rollers on it. It was just crazy, like just like that. So this is what happens. By now it was dark, and Jesus had not joined them. A strong wind was blowing, and the waters grew rough. Grew rough. They, when they had rowed about three or four miles... They saw Jesus approaching the boat, walking on the water. They were frightened. Now, I know this is a point you've probably heard before. It's, it's kind of curious in the way John tells the story. Were they frightened about the water or seeing Jesus walk on it? They see him walk on it and they're afraid. They had struggled to row. And then as Jesus comes across, this is the part I want you to hold on to deep in your heart today. He said to them, it is I, don't be afraid. Then they were willing to take him in the boat. Immediately the boat reached the shore where they were heading. What's interesting about the way John tells the story is this. He's introducing Jesus to these people over and over and the readers of his book over and over. And he's emphasizing them to them over and over, this is God in human form. This is God in human form. Now, most of us are familiar with superheroes, and, you know, it's, it's kind of a fun thing to say, well, if you could have a superpower, what would it be? You know, usually people will say something like super strength or invisibility or mind reading, something like that. But this is real. That's all, <laughs> that's all fun and imagination, right? This is real. John is saying, this is God. 
God is in human form and he's walking among you. And let me show you the signs that he showed us to show you that he is God. So he has the miracles listed out. And this first miracle he does, at least in this part of the story, he he shows us, is Jesus providing provision for them, feeding 5,000 people with scraps left over. Who does that? God does that. If he does that for them, can he provide for you? No, you could... If he does that, can he provide for you? Let's make this personal for a minute. I don't know what you need. You probably don't need a barley loaf right now. Maybe some of you do. Your stomach's growling. You're thinking, come on, pastor. But let's be real. You have needs greater than a food in your stomach this afternoon. There's not one of us in here who has gone without a meal this week, probably, unless you did it intentionally. But we are talking about a God that provides for you, provides for you. John is telling the people he provides more than and better than Moses in the desert. He provides for you. There was God in that story with Moses. God parts the Red Sea and they walk on dry land. This God, Jesus, is walking on the water. He doesn't even need the water parted. He walks on it. What he's showing them is this is God far beyond what you could have ever imagined. And if you knew about those stories about the Jewish people, you're seeing a God here who transcends all of that. He doesn't have limitations. Nature itself doesn't limit him. Moses led the people out of captivity. And this is a God in human form who's going to lead you out of all of this. My question to you today If you're in a storm, can God quiet your storm? John adds something none of the others added. When Jesus got in the boat, all of a sudden, they're at the shore. Just like that. That's crazy. But you're in a storm right now. And you're wondering, God, when will you act in this? God, I need you now. I can't breathe. I'm being tossed around and everything's falling out from under my feet. And I need you now. If I could have musicians with us up here. You're wondering, God, when? Here's something I never knew. When Jesus said, it is I, the actual words that are recorded in Greek that is recorded in the book of John are the exact same words that are I am. I never knew that before. Now there's seven places where he clearly says, in one point he says, I am the bread of life. He's teaching and he says, I am the bread of life. He's the provision for us, our spiritual food, where we'll never hunger for him. In another place he says, I am the light of the world, which it seems obvious. I am the light that directs the path and shows you the way to go. Another he says, I am the door of the sheep, which may not sound very cool, but... Shepherds slept in the doorway and protected their sheep. In another place, he says, I am the good shepherd. He guides and protects his sheep. Shepherds there are different than our shepherds. Shepherds there knew their sheep by name. They knew them. They talked to them. They heard their voice. They knew their voice. He says, I am the resurrection and the life. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Another place, he says, I am the vine. 
the true vine. You connected to me gives you life. He uses that phrase. I think what John was trying to tell them is this. He's coming to them and they're in a storm. And he says to them, they, they see him and he says, I am is here. I don't know about you. I get chills thinking about it. You know what it reminds me of? Have you ever been playing in the pool with your kid? And they're on the edge and you tell them, jump, right? Jump to me, right? What do you say? I got you. I'm right here. I'm here. What are you trying to tell them in that moment? You can trust me. I got you. I will catch you. You will not drown. You will not go under. I'm here. Does anybody remember doing that with your kid? Guys, do you remember doing that with your folks? And what do you do? You get super close to them because they don't trust you yet, right? You're their mom. You're their dad. They, you're like, how? Are you? I'm right here. I'm huge. You're little. Just... And you start off, I mean, I remember this with each one of them. You put your hands up to them and they, they kind of like a little hop and fall into you. And then you get further and further and further. And pretty soon, it's against the rules, but they're running and jumping and you catch them, right? Why? Because they can trust you. Jesus was outside the boat in the middle of the storm and he said, I got you. I am is here. What does I am mean? It's a really interesting construction because it's not great English, but it's super powerful theology. Because what it means is, I always am. I was, I am in the present, and I will always be in the future. I am the self-existent God. I need nothing to exist. I mean, by definition, if he's God, he doesn't need anything. He's God. And yet he chooses to be present in our lives he chooses to stand there and tell us jump into my arms i'm here with you and in this story the storm is going on and he says i am what is he saying i'm with you in the storm does it mean that he gets in your boat and your storm's over sometimes Sometimes it means that. John is telling us something about God. He's got over all of it, over provision for our food, over nature, over storms. What he's telling us is you're never alone. He is there. He's your provider, your protector, your provision. He's the one that is there in the past, in the present, and in the future. No matter where you go, he's going to be there. No matter what you're going through, he's there. No matter what it is, he is there. I want you to shut your eyes for a second. I know, I know in a crowd this size, and you know, those of you watching online have no idea what's going on in your lives. But I know human life, I live it with you. I know that there's times where the storms are big enough that you feel like, God, where in the world are you? I need you to get in my boat right now and the storm to be over. Sometimes he does that. It's really cool. Sometimes he doesn't. But what he does do is joins you in the boat. He's in the storm with you. I don't know about you, but I, I just need him. I need him with me. 
I need, to, I need to know that I can jump in his arms and regardless, I'm going to be okay. And what he does is, even if he doesn't calm the storm in, in the moment, what he does is he, he grows us through it and he develops our faith through it and he gives us peace in the storm that doesn't make sense and the storm is raging and all around you, but deep inside you know that he's got you because the I am has you. I'm going to ask a couple questions I never want to preach in a, in a service and not give opportunity for someone to accept Christ as their Savior because I know how it works. Maybe you visited a few times or maybe you've been contemplating and maybe today's the day and maybe you didn't even know it was the day but something that was said today, maybe in one of the worship songs or something Pastor Nick said or, or something in this sermon where you realize, you know what, I need to trust that God you're talking about with my whole life. And you may not have it all figured out. And guess what? I don't either. And none of us do. But I know I can trust him because I know he's good. So I'm just curious if anybody is here today, and maybe you are not a Christian, but you look at this and you've heard this today, something clicked and you realize, I can trust him today. Anybody like that at all that you want to say, yes, I want to be a Christian today. Anybody at all, just raise your hand and we'll pray with you. Simple as that. Let me ask this then. Uh, this is personal and I get it. But I'm, with heads bowed, eyes closed, just privacy in a room like this. I'm just curious if any of you are going through a storm. Maybe a big one, maybe a small one, but any at all. If you're going through a storm, just raise your hand for a minute. Anybody at all. I appreciate that honesty. There's hands up of all ages, all life, because that's humanity. We live in a world that they're storms. I get it. I want to pray with you. Would you do this for me? Would you stand with me, everybody? And if you're part of our prayer team or, you know, which includes our, our pastors and, and board members and their spouses, if you would just come forward real quick, if you would just step out. I want to take a moment. I want to give us a moment to respond. And I want to invite you. These people are here to pray with you. They come because... They just want to stand with you. You don't have to tell them every detail. You probably don't even have time to do that. But if you are in a storm and you need prayer for anything, these people will pray with you. They will join you and they will pray with you. It could be anything. You know, Michael Sanchez lost his dad. I'm not saying that's a storm for you. I'm just saying I know that's going on. Some of you may be dealing with something like that. Maybe big, maybe small. But if you need prayer for anything, we want to stand with you in prayer. So I'm just going to give a moment for that. Go ahead and step out and join one of us, and we will pray with you. We will stand with you and pray. Anybody at all, just go ahead and step out. could you come down and pray for some people? Would you guys come and would you guys be willing to pray for some people too?
I want to just pray with us and send us out. God, I'm so grateful that you are present in our storms. Big, small, the feelings of anxiety, whether it's depression, whether it's any of those storms that rush over us, God, that you would heal, that you would bring peace, that you would work. God, we ask for that miracle of taking us to the other side and the storms being over. We ask, God, that you would intervene, that you would do miraculous things. We thank you for that in advance. We trust you for that. And God, we are grateful for that. In Jesus' name, amen. Here's what I want to challenge you with as you leave this place today. Remember that the great I am is in your storm with you. And I want you to share that with everybody you meet. Remember to help out with um, VBS this week and uh, join us for some uh, for potato bar and salad in the gym. God bless you. Have a great day.